The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, this is Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today, we're so fortunate to have returning to us from Baltimore, the coaching specialist, the advocate, the school psychologist, the special needs mom, Dr. April Lisbon. April, welcome back to Different Brains. Thank you so much for having me again, Dr. Hackey. It's a pleasure. Tell us um, how you work with companies. Yeah. So one of the things that I have started doing, as you described, um, is that of really connecting with organizations to see what types of programs and services they're actually offering to clients. So I have been connecting with a lot of HR um, specialists to identify what does your conversational levels look like when you are hiring newer diverse learners. And, and as I tell people, I think the programs that are out are phenomenal because it is opening up some doorways for individuals with different brains, as you described. But sometimes the language that is utilized in the traditional companies don't work for our particular population. And so some things that I have done has been that of providing scripted language to help you know leaders understand when speaking with someone with autism, this is what you want to say. So for example, one of the examples that I was talking to an HR representative about was that they had a summer program for a group of autistic individuals. And so they provided them with an opportunity that they were supposed to do for the entire summer. Well, they didn't clarify for, um, for that particular population that you know the task that we are asking you to do is throughout the entire summer. So one of the, the individuals thought that it meant that they needed to get the the job done right then and there. And so the person, you know, was basically working intensely on this opportunity for a full four days. And when the when he came back to the office, they noticed that his hygiene had declined. And I was like, well, what do you mean that his hygiene had declined? And they basically indicated, you know, that he was looking scruffy. He, you know, he had, he wasn't smelling very well. And it was because they did not explain to him using the correct language that this project that we have assigned you to is from, you know, from May to July. He thought that he was required to get it done then and there. And so what we did was for this particular organization, was to talk about being clear in our message. You know, if it is from May to June or May to July, you need to ensure that you tell that person task one is due by May 25th. Task two is due by John, you know, by June, you know, 12th. Some people may think that's laborious, but when you are, when you are a black or white thinker, and there's no gray in between, you have to be very clear in your message. And so that's one of the projects that I have been doing, because once again, we have to realize with differently wired brains that the one size fits all mentality just doesn't work. Another thing that I have been doing, and this is something that um, came out of a conversation with with another, with actually an autistic adult that I've been working with, is that, you know, creating the bottom line. What does that look like within an organization as far as retention of, of autistic individuals? And one of the things that I really learned that I didn't even think about 
because I'm coming from an education background, is that of creating community even within our companies. More times than not, what I'm seeing is that because people don't understand what autism is or what neurodiverse learning is, is that they kind of sort of like shy away from it or have fears about, you know, how do I approach an autistic person or how do I approach someone with ADHD? Um, but once again, just creating that sense of community can make all the difference in ensuring that, you know, your neurodiverse employee is still producing. And it all comes back to the bottom line. If you show them that, that, that they are a part of your community, they're not going to produce for you, you know, but they have to feel like they belong. They have to feel like their superpower, because I hate the word diagnosis, even though I know, you know, people want to call it a diagnosis, but they have to believe that their superpower is embraced within the organization, it's accepted, and more importantly, it's appreciated in the organization. So that's something that I have um, been starting up, connecting with more organizations to see how we can create a sense of community for, for our neurodiverse learners. And then finally, the final thing that, um, that I want to really be able to do, and I haven't figured out how to make this connection, and how to go about doing that is that of creating a resource tool guide as far as, and this is more so from, from the parents' perspective, um, as far as organizations who are doing integration of neurodiverse training programs um, well. You know, and not only applauding them, but creating a resource list for those parents. Because like you said, I am one of those parents where, you know, I worry about what is going to happen to my son. And I hate to say this when I die one day, because I know it's going to eventually happen. And how will he be gainfully employed as a parent? I want to know what organizations are really out there, you know, not just talking lip service about neurodiverse trainings, but are actively doing it. One of the things that I would love to see, and I know this is far fetched and out there, but I believe it can be done is that of autistic individuals, for example, mentoring other autistic individuals in the workplace. And I know people are like, well, Abel, that doesn't make any sense. Um, because, you know, how can two autistic people, you know, help each other and they're all, they, they both have their own you know, differences and, and they, they, they may struggle to function to, to get things together. And I tell people, I did it for my son because there had gotten a point in time within our life where I couldn't communicate with him because I didn't understand his life and, you know, and what he was thinking through and, and, and his emotions and how that was tied into his, into his autism. And I literally found another autistic individual who's an adult, very successful young man who got my son. And to watch the dynamics between the two of them, where my son was like, oh, it's okay that I'm a little bit disorganized. And it's okay that I need this because this is how my brain is wired. That has been so impactful for my son. And I know that if that's impactful for him as a teen, I know see, having other autistics mentoring other autistics or other ADHD individuals mentoring other ADHD individuals in the workplace will be powerful. And once again, that will also do two things. One, say that it's okay for me to have a different brain, you know, and two, more importantly, that I have someone else that I connect with, I can connect with connect with and they get me. So that's that's my third project that I am looking forward to really releasing and you know and branching out and really diving in deeper with that area too. Well we find that within our community here a little community at differentbrains.org here in Fort Lauderdale where our neurodivergent interns help and teach each other, you know? Yes. 
and it's all a big interaction. And uh, all of us here have somewhat different brains in different ways, you know, and you can have any kind of label you want. Now, with your vast knowledge and how you're putting it into effect, um, tell us about your books you've written. Okay, wonderful. So um, the first book that I wrote was more so of a, a release cathartic moment for myself. And that first book is entitled Stretch Thin, Finding Balance, Working and Parenting Children with Special Needs. And at that time, um, I actually had two children with um, with disabilities. Um, my oldest son and then my middle son, he actually um, had diagnosis of developmental delay as well as communication disorders. And I will tell you, even with him, it too was a challenge for me to accept that I not only had one child who, um, who learned differently, but another child who learned differently. And so it was that combativeness intrinsically within myself that I, as the quote-unquote expert should have been able to recognize these issues within my own children, um, but I didn't. And then on the job, feeling like I was an imposter, it was like, you know, April, how can you be telling other parents how to support their own children and you can't even support your own children? So it goes through the highs and lows of what it like, what it looks like and what it feels um, to not only be the person who is providing the educational diagnosis for families, but also coming back home to that and, you know, realizing that there are certain things in my life that I can control and there are other things that I can't control. And how do you go through this process without further condemnation of yourself? So that's the first book. The second book is Autism in April, A Mother's Journey During the Tween Years. And that's one of those processes where we are talking about hormones, girlfriends, making the transition from elementary school to middle school, his fears, my fears about just life, you know, and, and how do you move through this journey, this, this transition of this is no longer my baby, you know, but this is a child who's growing up to be a young man. And how do we communicate with each other? How do I feel like, I hate to say it, I'm not the nagging mom, but I want to, I want you to feel heard and supported. So that's really what that book is about. And the final book is an anthology that I did with other parents and educators um, entitled Unmasking the Trauma, School Bullying and Children with Special Needs. And I actually wrote that particular book while going through the process with my son doing his psychiatric hospitalization. And the funny thing about that third book is, was that the intention was never for it to be a book. It was actually supposed to be a pamphlet for parents um, that I could, that I could, you know, present to schools um, as a parent resource. But for some reason, I felt like it was incomplete as a, you know, as a, just a brochure or a handout. And I felt like it needed to be a book. But because I was so emotionally charged and so emotionally tied to the story at that moment, I couldn't complete the book by myself. So I got seven other, other individuals to write their stories. And I will tell you that sometimes, as you said earlier, on this journey, you feel like you're all alone by yourself. And to hear other parents that I've never met, um, other er educators who I didn't even know had, you know, relatives that had different brains and to to realize that all of our stories were the same was not only cathartic, but it was also enraging because it's like, 
you know, everybody lives in different worlds, but yet our stories are still the same. And so I wanted other parents out there to realize that you don't have to do this process alone. There are other families that are going through this just as you are. And it is not okay for schools not to, um, to, to be stronger advocates when it comes to school bullying. And I mean that for all children, but especially for our special needs children, because more times than not, these kids, they struggle on their own intrinsically. They don't need a school system or, you know, or, or building administration that's not supportive of their needs. So that's the third book. And so all of this led you into your career of advocacy coaching. Yes, yes. So for me, I want to be um, a voice in the wind for those families who feel like their their voices have been, I don't know if cut off is the right word, but who feel like they, they cannot express their emotions and their feelings. I want to be that voice for those parents who are always apologizing because I used to be one of those parents. Oh, I'm so sorry that he's um, he's doing this. Oh, I'm so sorry. He really didn't mean to have this meltdown. Um, and, and apologizing because my child's you know brain is different. I shouldn't have to apologize because that's that's who he is. That's what he's about. You know, and I want to be that voice for other parents to realize and understand that it is okay to have a child who learns differently. What's not okay is that we accept from society that plain and simple, our kids aren't good enough or that we can't talk about our child's, you know, different diagnoses or disabilities. Yes, we can. We have a right, just like every other parent. We need to bring awareness and more acceptance to, you know, what our families go through every single day. So by creating that voice, like I tell people, you know, God gave me a big mouth anyway, so I might as well use it for good. So... That's me. Now, in line with that advocacy, talk about the balance between a career and parenting. Woo, I will tell you, it is a tough haul because special education is my life 24-7. Um, and some days are better than other days. Um, there are times where, you know, like I tell people, it seems like, if one of my autistic babies at school is um, is having a meltdown, I used to wait by the phone for a call from the administration to hear that my son was also having a meltdown. And so more times than not, it would be a struggle to balance it mentally and emotionally because I couldn't control it. And because I am the type of person where I like to have all my I's dotted and all my T's crossed, there were days where I was ready to give up. I was ready to give up, um, you know, being a mom of a child with autism. There were times where I wanted to, you know, quit being a school psychologist because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I could not um, create harmony in my life trying to be a professional as well as be a mom. But once again, I had gotten to a point where I realized, April, you can't do this on your own. So I literally, you know, and like I tell people, therapy is beautiful. I literally had to go to therapy for me to start the process of realizing, once again, I can only control those things that belong to April. I cannot control or fix, you know, what happens at work or, you know, things that may happen with my son. All I could do is to be a support system, make sure that I'm doing what's right, not only by the children I serve at my schools, but also my own children. And then in that, that's how I've been able to create some peace for myself. And another factor also, which I speak about when I talk to parents, I say, 
don't beat yourself up. That's my job. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, is that by definition, if you're a parent, you're so filled with love with your kid, you can't do as good a job in certain areas as a, quote, dispassionate, somewhat third party, um, many of whom are professionals. It could be another parent. It could be anybody. So what I do is make fun of myself. Like when I made the movie The Square Root of Two about my daughter's challenges in college, I finished the movie, which is when I found out as she went for a job interning at a school for autism, the owner of the school met her for 10 minutes and said, hey, doc, you know, your, your daughter has Asperger's. And I said, what's that? Well, it's on the spectrum of autism. And I said, what's that? Uh, I was completely ignorant. And, and, and in retrospect now, when I look at the movie and we see all the classical scenes of this clueless father, you know, who had no idea about hypersenses, about specificity, as you mentioned before, and clarity and so on and so forth. Um, but we as parents, we're just, we just want, you know, we're, we're, we want that one thing, and especially because I think God made the uh, mama bears a little bit different than the papa bears. <laughs> and I salute you. Um, it's doubly tough. And now you have the added thing as you're, oh, you're a professional psychologist here. You're a school psychologist. Gee, I'm supposed to know this stuff, you know, and you can beat yourself up pretty darn good over this. Oh, absolutely. I will tell you, I would think about all the interventions that I would give, I would provide to parents and they would come back and follow up meetings and say, oh my goodness, you know, um, Dr. April, that's what they typically call me or Dr. Peoples, you know, what you recommend at work. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to add this to my toolbox with my son. And then I would try to replicate it with my son and it would go to hell in a handbasket. And I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, how did it not work for you? It worked for this other child kind of a thing. And then I had to realize, you know, once again, you all kids learn things differently. And what may work with one child may not work for, your, you know, my own child. And I also have to remember, you know, this is your child, April. <laughs> you know, he's totally different from, from someone else. And so... I think that used to be one of the hardest things for me is, you know, hearing, getting the praise from parents saying, you know, the strategies and the interventions that you recommend at work and then not being able to duplicate it at home. That used to give me a lot of mental anguish. And I, and after a while I stopped doing it, I was like, because I would get frustrated with my son, I would get frustrated with myself and it just was not a good look at all. <laughs> Please tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and how they can get your books and more about how they can interact with you. Absolutely. So um, you can get all of my books um, both on Amazon as well as Barnes and Nobles. So they are on, like I said, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, as well as I think it was like the, the Walmart um, bookstore online. You can also get all three books there as well to reach out to me on social media. Um, both my Instagram and my Facebook handles are autism coach strategist. That's one word. And then you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn and my LinkedIn handle is ask doc April. That's a S K D O C A P R I L. 
Is there anything else that you would like to tell our Different Brains audience that we have not covered today? Uh, you know what? Actually, no. I think one of the big things that I would tell less of the parents and more so of um, individuals with different brains is don't be ashamed of your gift. People need the gifts and the talents that you have. Never allow people to make you feel different or feel like you cannot impact the world. This is your season to be influencers, to be life impactors, because what you have to offer is so different, is so unique, it's so awesome that our world needs you. Don't ever allow other people to make you feel smaller than 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 where than what you are because that's not who you are. That's not how you were made. So be proud of your 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 unique differences. Be proud of your unique learning styles because we need you. We do need you. Well said. Well, April, it's been a pleasure having you once again here at Different Brains. We look forward to staying in touch and having you return even again. It's great to have you here. Keep up the great work you do for so many. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.